Welcome to After the Fact, the Knowing Faith mini episode where we look to take a big question and address it in just a few minutes. Typically, the questions we consider will line up with our larger topic for the season, and that is certainly true for our time today. We are discussing Genesis 12 through 50 on Knowing Faith this season, and joining us today is Dr. Dominic Hernandez. Dr. Hernandez is an assistant professor of Old Testament interpretation at Southern Seminary. He's also the director of Spanish language programs at Southern Seminary, where there are currently over 660 students studying in Spanish at the seminary. That's incredible. I just, I'm so pumped to hear this. He is also the author of the book, Proverbs, Pathways to Wisdom. Dr. Hernandez, welcome to After the Fact. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. I am thrilled that you're here. So here's the big question that we're exploring today. How does understanding leveret marriage help us understand the story of Judah and Tamar? Well, that's really interesting that you'd put it that way, to be honest with you. So let's go back to Genesis 38, okay? Genesis 38, the time of the patriarchs. We read at the beginning of the chapter that Judah leaves his family and he goes into Canaanite territory. Now, if we just pause there for a second, our sort of Torah or Pentateuch monitor should be going and we think, wait a second, leveret marriage doesn't come until many, many years later with Moses. So what we end up seeing in Genesis 38 is not exactly the leverage marriage that we see come later in the Torah. We see sort of a predecessor to what was eventually, let's say, codified later on. And maybe we might even say not a good predecessor because the narrator in Genesis 38 lets us know that it's not very good what happens there. How that situation is handled is not handled very well. Hmm. So when we're thinking about trying to make heads and tails out of this, and maybe the audience doesn't even know what like a leveret marriage would have been. Maybe you could just say a little bit about like what was that that was going to come and how is this a shadow of that? Yeah, wonderful. So in Deuteronomy, second telling of the law, chapter 25, we read of this ancient Israelite uh, institution in which if someone, if a man dies, his brother was able to take the man's wife and have children with his brother's wife to raise up uh, seed for his brother's name. Now, that is came on later to be known as leveret marriage, uh, coming from the word levi, which is a Latin word that means brother. So it's, it's not Hebrew, it's, it, it comes from. And, and immediately, as we read this, our weirdo sort of monitor should be, this, this sounds weird to us. It does. It yeah, be, it wait a second, what do you mean the brother what's the what's happening here so here's what's happening here in in genesis chapter 38 we read of a scenario in which judah marries has three children his wife dies his eldest son is married off to a woman named tamar he's wicked in in the eyes of the lord that is judah's son he is wicked in the eyes of the lord the lord puts him to death and then the second son, his name is Onan, he takes his older brother's wife, her name is Tamar, he takes his older brother's wife, and we see something like the custom of leverant marriage happening there, in which the brother takes the wife of the deceased brother, Okay. That sounds weird to us. This is like, you know, this is the story that we skip in the Bible when it's 8.30 p.m. and we're too tired to explain this to our children. We're kind of like, oh, we're skipping Genesis 38 tonight. This is not the one that we're doing. (laughs) Well, well, 
at the beginning of our conversation, I said, well, it's interesting that we'd frame it that way because we actually don't have, uh, Moses's law of the Leverite marriage doesn't come until significantly later. Moses is dated to at least a couple of hundred years after the patriarchs. So here's what I think is happening here. Since we don't have that Mosaic, the, the Mosaic law, and the Mosaic law sounds weird to our ears anyway, we, we sort of have to go searching around sort of in the in other areas of the Bible and in the ancient Near East to figure out sort of what's going on here. Is it random that Judah would, ju- Judah would just say, oh, oh hey, uh, Onan, take your, take your brother's wife? And nothing in the Bible is really random. That, that a lot of the things that we see on the pages of Scripture reflect what may have been going on in the ancient Near East beyond the pages of Scripture. Mm-hmm. That's precisely what we see here. So mm-hmm. in in the Bible, there we, we have... Um, Actually, in the ancient Near East, there were other law codes, right? There was, everybody's probably most familiar with uh, the law code called Hammurabi's Law Code. If you could say that 10 times fast, you have won a million (laughs) dollars. Hammurabi's Law Code, right? And there are certain sections of Hammurabi's Law Code that overlap with areas of the Bible. Well, we also see that there were law codes from from Assyria and uh, law codes from, uh, Hittite law codes from um, uh, Asia Minor, right? We see that there were other law codes. And, and, and in, uh, in the Assyrian law, um, oh, I'm sorry, what I meant to say, the reason why I brought those up is because in both Assyrian law code, an Assyrian law code, as well as a Hittite law code, we see something like leverit marriage. We hmm. see something precisely, it looks very similar. In those law codes, we see that if a man married, he died, his brother was to take the woman to raise up offspring for his brother or something similar. So when when Judah gives Tamar to his son, it's not completely out of the blue. This is something that was being practiced already in the ancient Near East that we see through these mm. other law codes. The question is, wh- wh- why would ancient Israel a- adopt this, right? right. So we, we, see, we see Judah doing this, but why in the world would ancient Israel then adopt this? Well, I'm glad you asked, you asked that question. <laughs> so... Th- there are a couple of things that we have to think about um, as as it relates to Genesis 38 and leverett marriage. Initially, Genesis 38 is a very, very clear depiction of Judah being in a position of, of, of power and uh, Judah's family taking advantage of a, a really a helpless person. Remember, um, Tamar was part now of Judah's family. Mm-hmm. And by not marrying into that or having offspring by that family, um, she was not really part of the family anymore because her husband had died, but she could no longer go back to her father's house really and sort of be given away in marriage because she was no longer a virgin. Right. So she, she, could, she was in a state of limbo. And what Judah says is he says, hey, um, I'm going to give you my son, but, the, author, but the, the, the narrator tells us he had no intention of doing that. No way, that wasn't going to happen. So he's... he's He's, he's basically uh, taking advantage of his situation and using her to do whatever sort of he wants with his, his children instead of uh, providing for her, really, at, at this, in this scenario. That's one thing. The second thing is, is Onan uh, not only um, takes advantage of Tamar, but he 
also does so physically. He takes advantage of the situation, but he also does so physically. So we see that Tamar is being taken advantage of in so many ways by Judah's family in Genesis 38. That seems to be what we're getting out of the ancient Near East. This woman, that is the other ancient Near Eastern law codes, this woman becomes property of the men. And she's passed from the father to, well, basically the father, the the father commands that she can be passed from one son to the next. Um, That's how, how it worked. But what's really interesting is that Deuteronomy 25 presents the ancient Israelite custom in a significantly different way. So whereas this is still really weird to us, if you look at Deuteronomy 25, we read that it becomes the right of the woman in this context to carry out or to, we can say, enact or to compel the man to follow through with leave her at marriage, right? So if a man doesn't want to do it, then she can hold him accountable in front of the elders at the city gate. So what we end up seeing in ancient Israel is not just that this woman becomes property of the men. That's actually not what we see in ancient Israel, at least through the lever at marriage uh, right. custom. What we end up seeing is that the, the woman is in a position of authority here and she can go and hold the man accountable for uh, essentially raising up offspring for his dead brother. That's fascinating. So what you're saying is that in Genesis 38, we're not really seeing what we're, the uh, the lever at marriage that we're going to see in Deuteronomy. We're seeing something that was kind of part part and parcel of ancient Near Eastern custom, and Judah is just kind of adapting that in a wicked way, or at least he's mirroring a wicked practice. Whereas the Mosaic Law is going to reform that practice and provide greater dignity and independence. And in a kind of a very legal way for the woman in question. What the Mosaic law eventually does is it takes a practice that was being, that was coming to pass or that was happening in the ancient Near East. And it regulates it in such a way so that the lowest and the weakest people in society could not be abused. Wow. And, 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 and a, and a, uh, a widower in this context, Tamar, in, in that society, not being a virgin, not belonging to her father's house, but also not having children and people to care for her when, uh, when, she, when she grew older, uh, that person was in, essentially in limbo if she did not have, she didn't have family. And so what the Mosaic Law does is it says, now the woman can hold that man responsible. So regardless of what we, the, the, the sort of the X factor, the, the yucky factor that we feel when we think about this, what we end up seeing in the Mosaic law at least is the fact that now people that are vulnerable cannot be taken advantage of. It is her right now to say he has to do, or if she wants to, the idea is that, I mean, implied I think in this law is that she does not have to. But, it, but she can hold the man accountable in front of the people, at the men at the city gate. Dr. Hernandez, that was fascinating. I told you at the beginning of this, listen, I know nothing about this story and lever at marriage. And now I can say I know a little bit more. And I'm so grateful for you jumping on the show today. After the Fact is brought to you by the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you want to study with incredible professors like Dr. Hernandez in English or in Spanish, head over to sbts.edu and discover why Southern Seminary is trusted for truth. 